everybody. Welcome back to Rocky Talkie. We've missed you all so much. How are you guys? It's been a nice holiday weekend. How was your holiday? I'll be honest. This was the first time in eons that Thanksgiving was not an absolute dumpster fire. Really? Yeah, honestly, I went home, which I was very safe about it. Don't worry, everybody. I was very pleasantly surprised that there was no arguments there was no stereotypical you know thanksgiving brouhaha that went on or anything like that it was incredible i went black friday shopping again extremely safely in the suburbs of philadelphia and let me tell you there was like nobody out it was the weirdest black friday i have ever been a part of Everybody that I came in contact with that was working retail was, like, super pleasant, super surprised at the fact that, like, literally nobody was outside. And I got the savings. Ooh, shit. Heck Nice. I had to do all my Black Friday shopping online this year. It was good. I I checked out the Ordinary Kids show this weekend and, and saw some other Rocky content. But then I was right over to the shopping, hit up Amazon, got all of my Black Friday shopping done already for the holiday season coming up did you buy for other people um santa bought me a lot of gifts (laughs) hell yeah that's exactly what i wanted to hear i love when people utilize black friday for themselves and not for other people because i feel like i connect with those people on like a spiritual level i got eight dollars off on a 10 gigabyte hard drive so honestly stonks right (laughs) (laughs) Stop. Nikki, what did you pick up any uh Black Friday deals? I didn't. I'm really not a Black Friday shopper. I've I went Black Friday shopping once and that was with you. So that goes to show that like I definitely don't utilize my time on Black Friday very well. I think the only thing you bought when you were out with us was a Slurpee. Um actually it was a pretzel and a ah. Slurpee. Thank you. I'm sorry. Were there any Black Friday deals on said pretzel and Slurpee? Yeah, it was buy one pretzel, get a Slurpee free. <laughs> Hell yeah. Again, back to what Aaron said earlier. Stonks. <laughs> Excellent. All right, so putting Black Friday and this terrible, terrible holiday aside, what say y'all that we start talking about some Rocky news, huh? Let's get into it. First off, we're going to hit global news. So for those of you who may not have been aware, the Riff Raff Statue's 16th birthday was this past week. Yeah, the the giant Riff Raff Statue. It lives in Embassy Park, Hamilton, New Zealand. It turned 16 this past weekend. That's old. Right? In New Zealand, like that's old enough to get married, have sex, apply for a learner's permit, and a gun license. Do we want to unpack that? <laughs> One of these things is not like the yeah. other. <laughs> now, we don't have time to unpack all of that. <laughs> so for those of you guys who may not know, this is a giant statue of Riff Raff and his takeover stuff. And it stands in, quote, the birthplace of Rocky Horror. That's according to the statue's Facebook page. Where it actually stands is on the site of the former Embassy Theater in Hamilton, New Zealand. Richard O'Brien lived there in 1957 and worked in a barber shop in the embassy building. At night, he would visit the embassy theater to watch late night B-movies. So as the story goes, 
those are the movies that inspired Rocky Horror. It's a bit of a stretch, right? But yeah, the place where the statue stands is really the place where Richard spent most of his time existing while he came up with the plot for the show. So that's, I mean, that's kind of cool to think about. It was commissioned in 2004 by Weta Workshop. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them. Mm-mm. They're an insanely cool company that does props, prop replicas, sets, costumes for movies and press events, all this kind of stuff. They built all the cool Middle Earth stuff for the New Zealand airport. They worked on all of the Lord of the Rings films. If you've ever owned one of those replica Aragorn swords, it probably came from Weta Workshop. Yeah, I was looking at pictures of it before because I don't know about you guys, but the statue has been all over my Facebook timeline this week. And it's actually really cool. It stands on a pedestal featuring a lightning bolt and it has a dedication plaque with the lips on it. And it also has a camera that streams live 24-7. So if you go to riffraffstatue.org, you can watch people in the park taking selfies and doing the time warp with Riff, which is pretty cute. A little weird. I don't know if I want to people watch in my free time, but if you're into that, listen... I fucks with it. I do not judge you, but it's super cute. I was about to say that 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 kind of seems just as entertaining as like watching people do sleep streams on Twitch, which if you didn't know is an actual thing. I have watched a few. Yeah, it's something, I'll tell you that. But to commemorate the statue's 16th birthday, New Zealand actually hosted a birthday party for the statue with two screenings of Rocky. Looks like it was super fun. They had some drag performers. They had a giant riffraff puppet that some guy built. It had, like, movable arms and legs, so, like, you could do the time warp with him. One of the drag performers, Piper Blaster, sent us this awesome video of their performance of Sweet Transvestite live at the actual event. Fantastic. Really fun to watch. They're wearing this awesome light-up cape for the whole thing. It looks super cool. Hell yeah. This was such an awesome and fun performance. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I had absolutely no idea that I needed a light-up cape, but now I know. Now I know. This performance was excellent. So cool. We'll definitely uh, link to the video in the show notes. You guys will have to go check it out. Even the New Zealand Army Band got in on the fun. Yeah, they did this really adorable Time Warp cover on YouTube for Halloween. They had them, like, singing all the different roles. They were playing all the music. They even had a spooky ghost make a cameo for no fucking reason other than just, just, you know, make your day. We've got the video linked in our show notes, and we cannot recommend enough that you watch it. It's a really, really, really good time. And just for reference... New Zealand's coronavirus cases have been in the single digits all month. Oh, I was going to say, because like... Yeah, that's a very clear thing that we need to talk about right now. The reason why they were able to do this is because their coronavirus cases are like basically non-existent. That's how they're able to do shit, like hold a birthday party for a fucking statue. They are absolutely crushing it as far as managing the pandemic. If anybody who is listening is a Kiwi or is from New Zealand... Y'all are doing a great job. Keep it up. Sincerely, a disgruntled asshole from America. (laughs) Right? I cannot wait until we can do dumb shit like go to a statue's birthday party in America. And as soon as we've got a vaccine, I'm holding individual birthday parties for every piece of furniture in my goddamn house. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, if we're on the topic of disgruntled assholes, did you guys see the Tim Curry bio article? (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) It's okay. You're probably not wrong. Looper, 
Looper.com, they wrote this nice retrospective about Tim Curry this week, and they discussed his career and his time with Rocky, as well as a few bits about him that I definitely didn't know, but that's not saying a lot because I don't know much. But did you guys know how much of a huge coincidence it was that Tim Curry even auditioned for Frank? Nikki, did you know that the castle is now a hotel? Do you really want to do this right now, John? I always want to do this every episode. Uh, okay. Anyway, uh, I found out from this article that he lived down the street from a gym around the time that Richard O'Brien was working on casting for the stage show. And Richard had just been at the gym looking for a muscle man who could sing. Same. When he and Tim bumped into each other. They had previously worked together in the London cast of Hair and talked about the show a little bit. And Richard gave Tim the script to look over and told him to get in touch with the director if he was interested. Tim says he remembers thinking, boy, this is going to be a smash. But how fucking weird is that? Boy, this is going to be a smash is a sentence that nobody has uttered since like maybe the early 1900s. Well, except for Tim Curry. <laughs> the way this thing worked out like stresses me out a little bit. Because like if I was outside of like my local gym and I saw my homie from like my community production of Brigadoon and he handed me a script, I'd be like, what is happening right now? And Tim turned this into a fucking, like, <laughs> lifetime role. Mad. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Angie. <laughs> yeah, the article goes on to discuss how Tim was pretty worried about being typecast as Frank. I mean, that's fair. After the stage show and movie, he worked on distancing himself from Rocky and diversified the stuff he worked on. For a long time, he would get really annoyed when journalists would try and talk about Rocky. In the article, he recounts a time where an interview began their discussion by asking Tim... If he thought audiences had typecast him because of playing Frank and Tim responded, I think that is one of the most boring journalistic openings I have ever heard. Oof. Like, shit, <laughs> that's a little brutal, Tim. It, yeah, I mean, it's a little brutal, but if you really think about it, typecasting can be such a big issue. Going off of the topic of Rocky, like Jim Caviezel, the guy who played Jesus in Passion of the Christ, what else has he been in? Nothing, because that boy is Jesus forever. That's fair. It's definitely got to suck to be remembered for one role when you've worked on such a humongous range of projects. Like, look at Tim's discography. He's released three albums. He's recorded more than 60 audiobooks. And again, a huge range of subjects. Lots of children's picture books, young adult books. He read the entire series of Unfortunate Events series. Uh, but he's also done a lot of adult novels like Anne Rice, Danielle Steele, Jules Verne, Bram Stoker... And Tim has done so much voice acting, mm -hmm. an unreal amount. I always like to say you can really figure out what type of person somebody is depending on where they know Tim Curry from. <laughs> Some valid answers, Captain Planet and the Planeteers, Gargoyles, Paddington Bear, Ah, Real Monsters, Hey Arnold, The Wild Thornberries. Mm. I feel like people regularly forget that Tim Curry was Nigel Thornberry. Really? I The one I always forget about is All Real Monsters. Oh, yeah, yeah. Also a, a nice valid one there as well. Smashing. <laughs> I had known that he had done a lot of voice acting, but I didn't know the reason why. So in the Looper article, Tim said that one of the reasons that he started doing cartoons is that he really wanted to play American characters. And they let him play American characters in cartoons, so it's been a way for him to work on his American accent. Because remember, y'all, Tim Curry be British, you know? Well, I thought he was a New Yorker, as seen in his documentary role in Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. <laughs> <laughs> Which is 
amazing that America had become so progressive that we ended up electing the star of Home Alone 2 lost in New York as president of the United States. Can we talk about Paddington Bear instead? I've never seen Paddington Bear. No, me neither, but I'll, I'll take anything. He has my presidential vote. <laughs> I'll take anything aside from Home Alone 2 lost in New York. <laughs> Credit card, you got it. But he also does video game voice acting. For those of you who are the gamers who are listening, he's voiced Arl Rendon Howe in Dragon Age Origins. He voiced Professor Calamitous in a bunch of SpongeBob and Friends games. He played William Shakespeare for the 78 miniseries William Shakespeare. He's been in a bunch of dramatic roles like Dr. Petrov in The Hunt for Red October and Herkimer, Homolka, and Congo. Don't forget about Clue, right? Shout out for Clue. It's 35th birthday. It's like a week from now, December 13th. Birthday, birthday, birthday. I freaking love that movie. I've seen Clue a million times slightly less than i've seen rocky of course flames flames the side of my face (laughs) as someone who's never seen clue i'm confused oh hi confused i'm john hi john of course who could forget muppet treasure island tim states that this was his happiest experience on set because there's a conspicuous lack of ego among the muppets I disagree. I think Miss Piggy's full of herself. But anyway, it turns out that Curry's time working with Brian Henson led to a permanent change in the way Muppet movies were filmed. According to Looper, Tim decided to sing songs live on set instead of recording them as separate musical tracks. And this turned out so well on Muppet Treasure Island that Brian Henson decided going forward they'd continue doing live on set vocals it probably really added a lot to the chemistry between actors and the muppets i'd imagine it's hard to create chemistry with puppets because you're acting basically alone adding the live vocals probably makes the scene way more lively than when you're just pantomiming through it good for tim that you can totally understand his fear of getting typecast because he clearly loves working on all sorts of very very different projects which fair I bet he was never bored with his job because he was literally going from playing a terrifying demon in Legend to the butler Wadsworth in Clue to playing the Grand Wizard in The Worst Witch. You know, anything can happen on Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) All on top of releasing musical albums and voicing cartoon characters. If your career goal is to literally be as diverse as you possibly can be, A, being typecasted would absolutely suck. And B, I think Tim has very successfully accomplished this goal. Tim has kind of been one of the most shape-shifty actors of our generation. I really put him up there with, like, like Gary Oldman. Like, nobody knows what Gary Oldman actually looks like because he's so diverse in the roles that he accepts and performs in. Kind of like Tim. That's fair. Tim was kind of upset about being pigeonholed to Rocky for a while. But recently, he seems to have come back around to embracing the fans. I mean, you got to remember, this is a guy who decided to do the movie because he said, and, you know, paraphrasing here, he'd be buggered if somebody else was going to do it, right? Like, so he loved doing Frank, but for a long time, he was upset about, like, how pigeonholed he was into that role. In the time since, he's been doing a lot of Rocky projects, even in spite of his health not being the best. He did Krim in the 2016 remake. He was Frank in the DNC table read. That was amazing. And he's even been keeping up his public appearances, despite being in the time of COVID. That brings us to something else. He's been doing Galaxy Cons, and they've got another big Rocky Horror event coming up that they've had going on all year long. The next one's going to be held on December 20th. 
And at 2 p.m. Eastern, they're going to be holding a free virtual live stream as well as a one-on-one -on -one meet and greet with Tim, Barry, Nell, Pat, and Meatloaf. It looks like it's going to be a stellar time. You can watch their free live stream and Q&A sessions with all the different cast members. And if you want, you can pay for one-on-one -on -one video chats with each of them too, which is just super cute. I'm so doing that. Right? They also have this really adorable feature where you can take side-by-side -side snapshots of the virtual chat. Like, of course, it's not the same as meeting them in person, but it's really sweet that they're making this a big effort to hang out with the fans. And if you're interested in seeing the Q&A live stream or getting some one-on-one -on -one time with any of your favorites, I implore you to check out galaxycon.com or you can just go to the link in our show notes. Funny story about this. One of the last Galaxy Cons, a member of the community, Brandon Satrina, specifically put the effort into asking Tim about one of the badges that's on his Frank jacket. And finally, finally, for the first time ever, we were able to find out that Tim doesn't remember which badge it was. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it was, it was kind of a funny, funny chance and so glad that somebody was able to do that. Well, on the topic of some of the original cast members, Nell Campbell is starring in a new production called Seriously Red. It's a new movie, and it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a musical dramedy called Seriously Red, and it's based on Dolly Parton's music. The movie stars Crew Boylan as a Dolly Parton impersonator named Red and delves into the world of celebrity impersonators. That's fun. I mean, we don't know a lot about the movie yet, but it looks like it's going to be a love letter to Dolly Parton, who I have to say, amazing woman, incredible artist, runs an awesome theme park. <laughs> yeah. You ever been to Dolly World? That place is awesome. <laughs> um, it's going to feature lots of really talented Australian performers. The majority of the cast is Australian, which includes Nell. How about that? The film is going to be the first project to be produced by Dollhouse Pictures, which is Rose Byrne's new production company. I know her from Bridesmaids. You might know her from Insidious. She's kind of like a jack of all trades in that regard. But the film just began filming recently in Australia, and it's on schedule for a 2021 release, so we can all look forward to checking it out in the new year. So Nikki's out here talking about 2021. Something cool that we can look forward to even sooner than that is the 45th anniversary limited edition vinyl picture disc. That is a mouthful. It's a copy of the Rocky Horror soundtrack on vinyl. So for all you hipsters out there that believe that listening to vinyl is the only true way to listen to music, there you go. The 45th anniversary limited edition is on vinyl. On one side is a picture of Frank in his cape. And on the other side, you'll have pictures of these like theater marquees where the show is played. They've got the new art in L.A., the Rialto in North Carolina, the Oriental in Milwaukee, the Waverly and Zigfield theaters in New York City. Not the Sinapolis, though, shaking my head. And like I said, they're limited edition to commemorate the 45th anniversary of the movie. Yeah, these were supposed to drop in stores late October, but it seems like the production was delayed. I don't know why, possibly due to, you know, the world being shit. So it looks like they've just started to hit the market. There's a few places you can snag them online. They're retailing between 20 and 30 bucks, but lots of other places still have them on pre-order. So if you're interested in picking one up for your collection, you've still got time. You can check them out at Tower Records, FYE, and even Walmart. Right now, probably a lot more locations to come. Does FYE still exist? I don't even know what FYE is. There's oh one in a mall God. down here. 
Yeah, I feel like FYE is one of those stores that only exists in malls that are like slightly out of date. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I like the FYE. I mean, uh, Tower Records, too. I don't, I don't think I've seen one of those since they closed the store in Times Square, right? Yep. So before we wrap up global news, we've got an interesting and unusual Thanksgiving-related article here. Let me give you a little bit of backstory for how we even came upon this. So one of the resources that we use to write this show every week is rhpsnews.com. Disclaimer, that is a website that I run, so shameless plug there. But it's basically a conglomerate of all the news articles that Google finds that have keywords like Rocky Horror or Tim Curry or, or the Rocky Horror Show and aggregates them all together. And we filter through probably a couple hundred different listings that come in every day and condense it down to just the ones that anybody gives a crap about. So we see a lot of like random references to Rocky Horror anytime that some news article mentions, oh, Susan Sarandon's going to the hairdresser. Did you know she was in Rocky Horror? We get that article that pops up. So <laughs> this one was one of them that came in through that kind of feed. And it's a little weird, but I think it's pretty funny. Nikki, you want to take this one? Absolutely. This article popped up on the RSS feed on Aaron's news site. And while it's not really a story, we thought it was really freaking funny. And we thought you all might get a kick out of it. So I'm going to read part of it. And we can all have like a little laugh. How fun. So here's the first part of the article. It says... This will be a strange Thanksgiving, with health officials encouraging people to feast only with their immediate households, no open-mouthed gab fests, no elbowing Uncle Edgar for extra gravy, no well-meaning inquires from Great Aunt Millicent about why you haven't married her best friend's son. <laughs> it also means that the pressure's off. It's a chance to start new traditions, experiment with different recipes, and relax a little. Consider Julia Kellahan in Arlington, who normally dines with 40-plus people. This year, she'll celebrate with her nuclear family, including five children, by dressing as characters from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, a feat she wouldn't attempt with dozens of guests. My 16-year-old daughter is a little obsessed, she says. At last check-in, the family was heading out to a consignment shop to hunt for outfits. They'll play the soundtrack during dinner. Hopefully, we won't do the time warp next Thanksgiving, but for now, people are getting creative. The article goes on to talk about things people are doing to get creative with their Thanksgivings, which is all stuff like eating lobster as the main course instead of turkey. The or fuck? doing a I don't even know. I have no fucking clue. Or doing a photo scavenger hunt with your relatives. But this family is putting together a fully costumed Rocky Horror dinner and then eating in costume. Can you imagine doing this with your parents? I can't imagine, like actually sitting down and having a dinner in general with my parents, let alone doing this. This is so extra. I mean, I could probably imagine it. My parents both teach theater, so I've done my fair share of costumed at-home events when I was younger, but this really sounds like 16-year-old girl was promised she could go to Rocky for Halloween, and oops, the world said no. But, like, good on her parents, right? Like, good on yeah. them to support her interests. Ooh, money. Aaron, I have a supportive family and relatives that care about me. Oh, my God. Must be nice, bitch. Ah. So, speaking about bitches, let's transition into community news. Mm -hmm. 
there is the FFO virtual show coming up. Frankie's favorite obsession, that's the Las Vegas cast, is going to be streaming their virtual Christmas show on Saturday, December 5th at 10 p.m. Eastern. That's 7 p.m. Pacific time. Performance is going to be hosted on rhpslive.com. That's our virtual shadow casting platform. Uh, shameless plug there as well. And if you want to watch with us, just go to rhpslive.com on the 5th at showtime. So FFO's virtual shows are always super neat because they have a really good library of their pre-taped live performances and they go back years. So when they put on virtual performances, they take scenes from all of their different live pre-tapes and they cut them all together. It's a really nice way to see how their cast has evolved over the years. Plus, it's nice to get a real in-theater experience, even if it's on tape. It's so fun to see the actors interacting with the audience and to hear all the callbacks. As fantastic as all the community's virtual shows have been, it's really hard to replicate that sort of audience participation. To an extent, Nikki, I agree with you, but The Ordinary Kids did a really, really, really good job at replicating AP on their virtual shows this weekend. We have been looking forward to their performances for a while now. We've plugged them on almost every episode so far, and they absolutely knocked it out of the park this past weekend. Oh my god, yes. I was absolutely blown away by their show. The amount of work that they must have put into that production is staggering. It shows off. The editing, the performances, that everything was phenomenal. I loved the pre-shows up top. The music videos were a lot of fun too, but I really enjoyed getting to watch all the community members' performances. I really, really, really like burlesque members, like a little too much, and there were a lot of those, so it was just perfect for me. I mean, I don't really trust anybody who dislikes burlesque, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's fair. You know, it was really reminiscent of a convention talent show, like for everybody who has ever gone to a con where they've done a talent show at one of the nights, like it really reminded me of that. Mm-hmm. And you're going to love those when you finally make it to a con, Nikki. They're easily like one of my favorite parts of con. It was really cool getting to see everyone put their virtual dicks on the virtual table. I love them in real life and I love them on Zoom. The dicks, I mean. All of their performers were great, the pre-show performers, everyone who did the actual show. When we put on the virtual show for NYC RHPS, I thought we were like the pinnacle of virtual show technology, and then the ordinary kids just like completely blew us out of the water. Their Frank was hysterical. I almost died laughing when they freeze-framed him after he drowned. Like, if they make that (laughs) into a t-shirt, I'm 100% buying one. So, ordinary kids, if you're listening... I just gave you a free merchandise opportunity, and I implore you to take it. Everyone was so good. I'm totally biased, I know, but my castmates were my favorite to watch. Shout out to FNS. I thought the dual rips was the funniest thing ever, especially that slap fight during lab scene. Yep. (laughs) Honestly, I think my favorite part was how much work went into the sets and the backgrounds. Did you see just how much Photoshop and just work was there? Hunting down all of those different things. It must have taken absolutely forever, hundreds of hours to put this thing together. As someone who's edited a virtual show, I thought mine was intense, but like, wow, this is nothing compared to how crazy they went with all of the effects. The amount of just sitting there chroma keying every single one of those shots. And then on top of that, right, they did all the audience participation. So let's not just do a massive video project. Let's also record a ton of audio, mix it, master it, layer it on top. 
they were right. That is one of the things that's missing from a lot of virtual performances. Like, it's great when we get AP via chat and whatever, but this was awesome. I didn't realize how much I missed hearing people screaming stuff. Honestly, snaps for the ordinary kids. All y'all totally blew us away with this show, and we cannot wait for your next production. Great, great job. I want to slide over to Rocky Talkies back for a sec because I was certainly blown away by a piece of correspondence we received this weekend. Our good friend, Boo Boo Kitty, fuck of your mother's panty line the third, is back. We got another message from him. Oh my God, can, can I read it this time? Yes, of course. Okay, so we have a slight change here. He has submitted his name as Harry Hardon of Gargantuan Titty Mountain Jr., <laughs> Uh, So it seems like he's having a bit of an identity crisis. Let's hear what he has to say. He says, Hark, my words broadcast, reverberating amongst the masses. My stiffest apologies for not writing sooner. I heard your episode the minute it came out, got so unbelievably hard, then masturbated profusely for the next 37 hours before I finally fell into a small coma. (laughs) You might call me a renewable energies wind-powered turbine. Or as I like to say, a big fan. I hate that so much. I tell you, no one can make me go from six to midnight faster than your voices in my ear crevices. I cannot believe that no one else has written yet the travesty. If I may give a bow and say, as the kids do, a very merry first. Now, for the main event. The throbbing, aching, tantalizing, terrifying because of its gigantesy, my dick! He requested some air horns here, and he wanted me to help out, but that is not my job, so Meg, uh, pew, pew, pew! Yeah, that's good. Yeah, good job. He continues. Now, I haven't gotten any hits yet, even though I technically have not given my contact info. I will just advertise once more, ladies, gentlemen, themptlemen. If you will, slide on this hog. Slide on this hog. That hurts to hear. I can't wait to use that everywhere I go. Uh Uh-uh. He wraps up. Thank you ever so much, and as always, have a blessed day. Snoogans is not my name. Well, damn, Snoogans. 37 (laughs) hours is a long time. I think my personal best is 29 hours, but I had to drink a fuck ton of Gatorade. That's impressive and of itself. Good job, Snoogans. Or Harry Hardon or whoever you are, Snoogans. Yeah, Mr. Hardon, if I may, we love that you're a fan. And we love that our voices make you feel funny in your pants. Oh, no. Stop, 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 stop. Oh, my God. (sighs) hard on that was for you baby you're welcome if you want to hear more of that you can subscribe to my only fans and follow me on twitch oh my god okay anyway harry hard on who are you please can you just give us a hint i want us to play scooby-doo and solve the mystery of our fabulously endowed number one fan yeah next time you write for us please give us like a like a masked singer hint so we can eventually deduce who you are it would just be so fun i would really love to see that and then, once we figure out who you are, we can advertise your massive schlong properly. That would be a win-win, right? We can add an element of intrigue to our show, and at the end, everyone gets to know you're a giant dick. You, Aaron, it's you have a giant dick. Why? What did I say? Anyway, <laughs> Harry, if you want to give us a clue, write to us again, and the game will be afoot.
And if you'd like us to advertise your sexual prowess like we do for Harry here, or if you'd like to send us any actual news, please, please, please write to us. All you have to do is visit our website, rockytalkypodcast.com, and fill out the Contact Us form. We'd love to talk about your cast's upcoming shows or any Rocky-related projects you yourself might be working on. And with that, I think it brings us to Nikki has a question. My Hello. favorite. All right, Nikki, what do you got for us this week? I've been waiting to talk about this one for a minute because this pisses me off. What's up with the timeline of the film? It makes no sense what happened. Frank sends everybody to bed and then they all get up and dinner is ready. It just it does not compute. What happened to the timeline? Okay, so the explanation that I have always heard is, like, the in-world kind of explanation. Like, Frank was an alien and was just weird and didn't know all of Earth's norms and customs. So, like, there's a few parts of the movie that kind of symbolize that. And honestly, when somebody asks me about Rocky Horror and they're like, oh, well, what's the movie like? The way that I always explain it is, like, it's like an alien who has just kind of heard about movies but has never actually seen a movie, tried to write a movie. You know? <laughs> That's kind of how I explain movies like Rocky and, like, The Room mm. and Party Monster. Like, you know, those really weird, strange timeline cult movies. Like, they all kind of followed that same formula. So in the commentary on the Blu-ray, Pat Quinn and Richard O'Brien talk about how Brian Thompson, who is the art designer for the movie, set the table the way he did to communicate how ignorant they were at throwing in at her party. So, like, there's a callback that they say, you know, why does Dr. Scott have seven forks? He hasn't ate yet. Ha ha ha. But realistically, like, it's set up that way because they're aliens and they don't really understand how dinner works. Yeah, I mean, that's why they have specimen jars and things that they're drinking out of. Right. Or, like, Frank figured that everyone would be up anyway since he had already planned to seduce them. Either way, he clearly planned it by having Magenta cook Eddie after he killed him. Or could it be implied that Magenta took the initiative there? Hmm? 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 Ah? Uh? Yeah, I mean, those are all really good. Those are the ones that I always hear and that I've always, you know, said myself when anyone asks, like, why, why is the timeline so screwed up? Why do they do dinner after they all went to bed? The real world answer has to do with how the stage show evolved from its initial run to eventually be assembled into the order that we know now. This one's a little dry, but, you know, that's never stopped me before. So here we go. So it, it, this specifically has to do with how the songs surrounding dinner, that's Eddie's Teddy, Planet Schmanet, Once in a While, were shuffled while Richard was writing the film adaptation. So let's take it all the way back. The original version of the stage show, before it even premiered, didn't have Planet Schmanet or Eddie's Teddy. Planet Schmanet was added during workshopping at the theater upstairs, and the original run of the show didn't have a number for Dr. Scott at all. So Richard O'Brien says in the commentary that when the stage show moved from the theater upstairs to the Chelsea Classic after its first run, he added Eddie's Teddy to flesh out Dr. Scott's character. I say that with quotation marks around that statement. <laughs> and to add a bit of length to the show since it was running kind of short at the time. So after the two bedroom scenes, that put everything in the lab from Tutcha all the way through Whipping once in a while, Eddie's Teddy and Planet Schmanet. So some adaptations have put once in a while in Brad's bedroom, like the movie was intending to, 
the staging of the show just constantly adapts to the different visions that come with every new interpretation. I think it's really fun to check out all the versions that are up on YouTube or that's floated around over the years, or even going to see a local show or a community theater or a college. One of the things that makes Rocky such an interesting touchstone, at least from the theatrical perspective, is that it's constantly being reimagined by new creative teams every year and has been continuously since its first show in 1973. The Rocky Horror Show, the stage adaptation, it's such a templatable show that you can kind of do whatever you want with it and it still doesn't make sense, but that's kind of the fun of it, you know what I mean? Like the 2000 show on Broadway set Tatcha in Rocky's dungeon, the one that you see him being kept in during Scare the Monster in the, the remake in 2016, and it has Eddie's Teddy sung in the lab. The 2015 stage show is on YouTube, and they do once in a while Tatcha and Whipping in the Lab, and then they move to the Zen Room when Dr. Scott enters, and they stay there for Eddie, Planet Schmanet, and Freezing. I had no idea that the Zen Room was like a real location for more than five seconds. <laughs> yeah, both of those two stagings that are up on YouTube, they're pretty unique. The 2000 show was done almost in the round with lots of catwalks and small vignettes with the audience surrounding the stage and the, and the players. The 2015 Rocky Horror Show Live was a limited run engagement that was simulcast in theaters across the UK and Europe while being shown in the Playhouse Theater in London. So they were working with ensuring that everything played well for a broadcast event. So lots of changes there. Kind of like the Grease and Rent live events that have happened in recent years where they adapt the locations. Yep. So where did the whole dinner thing come from? That was just added for the movie? Yeah, O'Brien added the whole sequence when he wrote the movie script. He hoped it would relieve the monotony of being in the same place with a change in scenery momentarily taking the characters out of the lab for Dr. Scott's musical number. So they added the sequence and shot it on location at Oakley Court rather than in the studio. I've been in that room in Oakley Court. Like you walk into the main lobby and like straight past the staircase, every magenta just like has to get a picture on. Past the bar on the left and into what is now a sitting room. It's like instantly recognizable. And by the way, did all of you know that the castle is a hotel? Man, I'm, I'm going to have to get back there. It's certainly not 2021. Did you know that the Time Warp picnic is already sold out? The what? The picnic they do at the castle every year. They show Rocky. You get to wander around in costumes. They do a big barbecue. I've been lucky enough to get to go twice. It is a blast. Right. And, and you get to stay there. Like, you know it's a hotel, right? John, stop. <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. So getting back, many of the changes between the stage version and the movie were these attempts to fix the pacing. They kind of resulted in the opposite, though. They cut once in a while, even after it had been filmed. We talked about that two episodes ago, thinking it was way too slow for the film pacing. And like, that's just one less thing to do in the lab or cut back and forth from the lab. But the change from lab to the dining room for Dr. Scott's song, that resulted in them having to add a whole bunch of time getting the scene established, walking in, standing around, serving food, standing around some more, the big reveal, Columbia wandering off, right? All of this before Dr. Scott's insane. I swear it feels like 10 minutes just waiting for Rip and Magenta and standing around doing nothing before Dr. Scott finally gets to the song. I personally really, really, really love dinner scene and the way that the NYC cast does it. Because dinner scene is like snack time. We'll bring cupcakes on people's birthdays. Sometimes some of the cast members will bake cookies. 
and we just like completely butcher the accuracy of dinner scene just to stand there eat some food and insult the audience for a couple minutes it's kind of like the compromise that we bring to the cast you know like you can have snacks on stage during dinner scene but please for the love of all that is either holy or unholy don't bring your big gulp with you to lab scene <laughs> like it makes sense in the context of dinner scene true and because it's such a boring part of the movie have fun with it there but like let's not ruin the rest of the show <laughs> yeah i mean all, all that time just standing around during dinner it doesn't exist in the stage play as soon as dr scott enters he jumps immediately into it boom he busts in he's in the lab frank calls him a nazi bt dubs i fuck brad also janet's a whore bam time to sing a song about a teddy bear but no instead we have this meal oh no you're disgusting <laughs> i quit <laughs> but i guess that's really it isn't it dinner was never really intended to be a scene they just added it to the movie to fix the pacing and it failed miserably in that regard in addition to just making the timeline fucking confusing with no explanation that's really it it doesn't help understand the plot but Fun fact, there was a deleted line that appeared in the movie script, but didn't make it into the finished film. Right before leaving the lab, Frank is scripted to invite Dr. Scott to, quote, sample the speciality of the house, roast loin of pork. Yeah, that wasn't really necessary no. at all. It kind of spoils the joke, yeah. in my opinion. But at least it's not the remake where Rocky and Frank are the only ones that eat any of Eddie, and then the tender subject joke at that point doesn't even fucking land. Uh, yeah, they really tried with the remake to shorten up dinner in an attempt to clean up the pacing, but the location change doesn't get well established. It just feels like a total afterthought. Yep. Like, it still takes three whole minutes for them to get the food divvied up and sing happy birthday you can really see that even with the tight modern editing and pacing techniques like cutting lines on top of each other anticipating reaction cuts it still paces so badly trying to add a whole nother location without reshaping the location for the rest of the songs just doesn't work like the 2015 live stage show did by moving half of the second act to the zen room yeah, that's it. It was just a change they tried for the movie for the sake of pacing, and the plot got muddled along the way. I don't know of any better in-universe explanation than what John mentioned earlier. Frank's weird assumed everybody would be up for a snack after their sexcapades. So there's actually an interesting historical take here. Oh. Though there's like absolutely no way that this historical take is intentional unless Frank is supposed to have been on Earth for like several hundreds of years. Well, he's a time traveler, so maybe, maybe. So it's pretty well documented that up through the 17th century, a lot of people had a more segmented sleep schedule. So people tended to go to bed earlier, like around dusk, they would sleep for a little bit, and then they would wake up and occupy themselves for an hour or two, like whether that be food, reading, boinking, etc. And then they would return to sleep until morning. So there was a doctor's manual from 16th century France that even advised couples that the best time to fuck was not at the end of a long day's work, but after the first sleep, when they have more enjoyment and do it better so the idea of like waking up and fucking started to disappear during the late 17th century among the urban upper classes in places like northern europe and they filtered down to the rest of society over the next 200 years because as you all know 
the urban upper class makes the rules for everybody else. And when they start doing it, everyone else starts doing it. So like by the 1920s, the idea of a first and second sleep had receded almost entirely from our social consciousness. All jokes aside, I do that a lot. Like now, who doesn't like middle of the night ice cream? All the best eBay deals show up at 3 a.m. So wait, do they really? Oh, yeah. Oh, shit, dude. I just finished collecting all 151 original Pokemon cards, and I got the majority of them through eBay. I wish I had known. It's when you gotta check them. Rip. (laughs) Well, I think that's gonna be it for this week. Before we go, we just want to thank everyone who took the time to rate and review our show on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud, and everybody who watched us on YouTube. We absolutely love you guys and really appreciate all of your support. Also, shout out to my boyfriend's mom for tuning in so uh, supportively. Leslie, I love you. This is crazy. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Rocky Talkie Podcast. So if you liked us, please go check us out there. And please, please write to us. We want to hear about all the cool Rocky stuff you and your cast are working on. And we really want to share it on our show. If you're working on a Rocky-related project that you're excited about, or if your cast is doing a show and you want to spread the word, or just anything related to Rocky, I want you to go to our website, rockytalkypodcast.com, and fill out our contact form to share with us. We can't wait to hear from you. We'll see you guys next Thursday. Bye. Bye. See ya. Bye. <laughs> At night, he'd go to the Embassy Theater and watch late B night movies. That's you what said I started B-night laughing. Movies. <laughs> B night movies. Oh man, that would have been cool. <laughs> well, speaking of. I don't know how to transition. There was this really unusual Thanksgiving (laughs) article. (laughs) Bye. Goodbye. Ah. Bye. Oh, my God. Snoogans.